Amen. So we are so blessed to be here. The conference has been amazing. Anyone been blessed by the conference Ooh, so amen. far? Yeah. Hey. Amen. We're talking about winning together in relationships. And we love the word together, right? We're not in this alone. We're in this together and we're going to win together. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, we're going to read that in the New Living Translation, and it says this. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times, for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. They are the kind who work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. Such women are forever following new teachings, but they are never able to understand the truth. All right, so we are, we're going to continue along the same lines. It's been the theme for this entire conference, and that is winning together in relationships. Now, what I don't, I don't know that we realize or not, but this conference is really a, a, a lot more prophetic than what we may realize. Uh, now, the, uh, the writer of the book of 2 Timothy is the Apostle Paul, and he's speaking to his spiritual son, Timothy, uh, in the gospel. And like any father who desires for his children to be prepared for what's coming, he describes for him in detail some of the signposts that confirm that we are indeed living in the last days. Now, Jesus also gave us some insight in the book of Matthew chapter 24, where the disciples asked him, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And uh, he shared with them several things that they can look for. And the key to understanding what is being shared with us about these signs that we look for in the last days uh, is not so much that we see them happening, but paying attention to the frequency in which we are seeing these things happening. Jesus actually compares some of the signposts that we are to look for in the last days uh, to a woman being in labor. And I've got, we've got four kids, um, four, four children, 15, 14, 10, and seven. And I was there for all of the pregnancies. And one of the things that I got a chance to see is that the, for all of the burps, right. So one of the things that, thank you, baby. <clears throat> Amen. <laughs> one, one of the things that I got a chance to see is that the closer my wife got to delivery, the more her labor pains increased in intensity. And so when we look at some of the signs uh, that indicate that we are coming closer and closer to the end, we ought to be paying attention to the frequency and the intensity of these signposts that have been given to us so that we know we are closer and closer to the Lord's return. Now, when you look at this uh, passage in the Amplified Bible, the classic edition, it says uh, that in the last days will come and settle in times of great stress and trouble that are hard to deal with and hard to bear not impossible to deal with and impossible to bear just hard to deal with and hard to bear which means that as a Christian and as a believer in the last days that we live in it is going to require some level of press from you in order to get from salvation to all of a sudden being caught up in meeting the Lord together in the air when it's all said and done it's going to require you to press towards the prize for the mark of the high calling of God that's in Christ Jesus it is going to require 
require you to resist offense. It is going to require you to keep your heart right, to keep your heart clean and pure of the things that will prevent it from staying healthy and whole before Almighty God. Now, the Bible tells us some of the things that we're going to see the closer we get to the end. And some of the things that we're going to see is that people are going to be lovers of themselves. I mean, we're seeing that today. Amen. I don't think it's coincidence we're in the day and the age of the selfie. Uh, People will scoff at God and and be disobedient to parents and ungrateful, uh, irreverent. They will consider nothing sacred. Uh, Betrayers of friends. We just just saw a reel just the other day, and they were talking about uh, youth pastors were sharing a story about some kids who were teenagers who were using the Bible app. And uh, in their use of the Bible app, uh, one of the parents of the, of the teenagers noticed that their child was on the Bible app like six, seven, eight hours a day. And they're initially thinking to themselves, my God, my child is in the Word. And what they, didn't, uh, what they found out later on is that the child was, uh, their teenager was exchanging nudes between them and their girlfriend within the Bible app. And, and, so, and, and so they would send the nude, and it would be a scripture reference right at the bottom of, of the nude. They, they just found out a way to take something that's supposed to add value to your life and help you to get to know God, and now they're not treating the sacred for what it's supposed to be treated like. It's the day and age we live in today. Uh, people will be betrayers of friends, pleasure seekers, religious, but not godly. And then what, what, what starts off in the public is eventually going to make its way into, into our homes. And this is exactly what we're seeing today. Uh, and then one group that we will be won over by what takes place is, and it uses this exact terminology, vulnerable women who are burdened with guilt and controlled by various desires. Vulnerable women, not all women, vulnerable women who are burdened with guilt. And I I could use an example of, you know, mom guilt is a real thing. Amen. Dad, there is no such thing as dad guilt. We we don't, men, come on, brothers, you all know what I'm talking about. We, We don't deal with dad guilt. But mom guilt is a real thing. And I mean, you know, when we feel guilty about what's going on in our lives, and sometimes we give people a pass for things that we should not give them a pass for because of the guilt and the shame we are carrying ourselves. Note, and, and then also it talks about women who are controlled by various desires. Women, women are, one, are some of the most powerful species upon the face of the earth. It's just that sometimes ladies don't know it. Many of the movements going on today would not make it without women's support. I mean, why is that? Because women are natural nurturers. I don't want to lose you today. I just want you to understand the value that you bring to the table and the reason why it's important for nurture and support to be given in the right areas. See, if the women weren't nurturing some of the movements that are happening today, they wouldn't even make it. Even what's happening with the LGBTQIA, we don't have anything against that group of people. Uh, we, We are equal opportunity preachers. We preach to everybody the same. Amen. And I almost want to dare to say, I, I'm praying that God uses us to strip that, that, uh, that particular sin as if it is something special that the Bible itself cannot work to help people get the deliverance that they need. But I'm going to tell you, men who act feminine would not make it without the nurture of a woman. Because most men won't affirm another man that's like that. Even men that are in the actual lifestyle. Ladies, you, ladies can be used powerfully to nurture things that are not right. 
And that's why it is important that women are, are entrenched in the Word of God, entrenched in the truth of Scripture, so that we are not just endorsing what we see or nurturing everything that we see, but being willing to call certain things out, to love people the way that they are, but also to love them enough to not let them stay the way that they are. Come on, somebody say amen to that today. Amen. Now, what sticks out to me is as I re we read this passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, when Timothy talks about some of the signposts that we can look for in the days that we live in, in the, as we get closer and closer to the end, one of the signposts of the last days is relationship decay. That's literally what we just read in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And, 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 and we're talking about people scoffing at God, being disobedient to parents, ungrateful, irreverent, betrayers of friends, pleasure seekers, religious but not godly. We are reading, and, and what Paul is telling us is one of the signs of the last days is relationship decay. Now, Jesus tells us in John chapter 16, he told his disciples, there are some things I'm going to tell you about before they happen so that you will not be taken unawares. In other words, what he's saying is that there are some things in life your heart needs time to prepare for. So I'm going to let you know what's going to happen, what's, what's coming, so that you have time to prepare for it. Now, here's the other side of it. If you find yourself dealing with something and God didn't tell you about it before it happens, then that means faith is enough to get you through it. Amen. And, and there is a grace to be able to get you through it. So just that shield of faith will equip you and help you and guide your steps in a way to get, take you from where you are to on the other side of what you're facing and what you're dealing with. But when God gives us inside information, he gives it to us because he wants us to give our hearts time to prepare so they don't, so that they don't shut down in the midst of what's unfolding. Another thing he'll, he'll, he'll tell us beforehand so that we have time to ready our hearts and also to raise awareness within us so that we don't end up on the wrong side of the prophecy. Mm. Now say this with me. Say, God wants us, God wants us to, win to win in our relationships. All right, that's about eight of you. Everybody, say this with me. Say, God wants us, God wants us to, win to win in our relationships. That's about 17 of you. I'm holding all of you accountable in here today. Come on, say this with me. Say, God wants us, God wants us to, win to win in our relationships. Do this with me. Would you stand up with me real quick? Stand up with me. Amen. Stand up with me. I just want to make sure you're awake. Go ahead and sit back down now. All right. All right. All right. Come on, you feel like you're in a Catholic church now. This is, amen. I grew up in Catholic schools. I understand. So God wants us to win in our relationships, and human beings are very complex creatures. I mean, there, there are not two of us on the planet out of 8.8 .8 billion people who are exactly the like. Now, the more isolated and polarized we become, the more prone we are to relationship decay. All healthy relationships require some level of proximity. I don't care if you're talking about husbands and wives, parents and kids, uh, 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 pastors and, you know, and, and, and their flock or, or co-workers, and et cetera, et cetera. All healthy relationships require some level of proximity. Today what we are starting to see is people are making assessments of other people from across the room. And we are using labels and the stereotypes that come along with those eight labels to formulate certain conclusions about who we think people are. 
Oh, okay, so you're white, you're Republican, I know exactly what you're about, I know exactly how you're wired, I know exactly what your story is. And we think that our familiarity with the labels relinquishes our responsibility to actually get to know the person. How many times have we walked into an establishment, into a restaurant? I, I, this happens to me all the time. I walk into a restaurant, let's say it's Burger King or something along those lines, and I can just tell from the way that the other person treats me on the other side of the desk that they think I'm hood, they think I'm ghetto, you know, they, they think, uh, you know, everything, and what up, what up, cuh, what up, bro? They think that's the way I'm going to communicate. And they're surprised and shocked when I don't, I don't carry myself in that way. Not that there's anything wrong with that at all. I'm just saying that you can sense some Sometimes people make judgments about people and they don't even know the individual at all. And I'm, you know, there is so much more to our story than just the labels that people give us to identify who we are. And thank God Jesus didn't do this. How many of y'all remember the story with the woman at the well? Man, what a story, right? She, she's a Samaritan. She's a woman. Uh, she's living with somebody. Uh, she's had five husbands. I mean, it's a lot going on with this woman. And Jesus could have easily looked at all of the labels and said, here we go. Samaritan woman, Samaritan, female, thirsty, five, five marriages. And just said, man, I'm getting away from this woman. Because all of the labels tell me that I shouldn't be in conversation and dialogue with this individual. Because what would other people think if they see me talking to her? But what Jesus did was Jesus challenged culture and even tradition within the Jewish nation at that time to have some fellowship and some communion with this woman. He looked past the label and got close enough to see that, yes, she is indeed thirsty. But she's searching for what she needs. She's just looking for it in all of the wrong places. And sometimes we look at the negative labels upon people and don't realize that sometimes it's, it's the bad things about people that actually help them end up in the place they need to be to get the help that they actually need. She's at the well because she's thirsty. But her thirst is what put her in a position and come into contact and relationship with the one who could give her living water so that she didn't need to go to another man to get her need met. And thank God there was someone who took enough time to look past the labels on the outside to get to know this woman so that she, he could meet her real need, which was to get to know God for herself. I remember uh, many years ago, it's probably about 10 years, 12 years ago or so, um, I had, we had some, um, we had a, a group of men that came and joined our church. And, uh, and what I should say joined, they, they came in, loved the church, start coming on a regular basis, et cetera, et cetera. And these guys were, were a little feminine in how they carried themselves. And back then, you know, you, you know you, we learn and we evolve with time. Back then, you used to get up in the pulpit, be like, man, the Lord didn't make them Adam and Steve. The Lord didn't make them Eve and Shaquita. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit corrected me one day. And he said, you are not helping them by insulting them. And he dealt with me and he said, you need to give them something of substance if you want to see them change. And, and so I, I eventually met with, with all of them. 
and just had a conversation. You know, they were interested in, in volunteering, things of that nature. I wanted to know their story. I wanted to know what was going on with them. And I was so blown away by some of the things that I found out. I'm like, here I am on the outside thinking I know them because of the label. And then when I got close enough, what do you say to a man who's been molested every week by a family member and has never been with a woman because somebody else, a grown adult, chose to violate them in their childhood? And I'm sitting back here and I'm saying to myself, oh, Sean, you, you think you know somebody. How would you process that? If you were a child dealing with an adult issue, trying to process it with a child's brain. And I began to understand in that moment why uh, they were in the position that they were in and why God had led them to our church so that they could get the healing that they need. So that masculinity could be modeled to them in a healthy way and they could be affirmed in their manhood, in their creativity, instead of thinking that they needed to go somewhere else to be affirmed. See, when we see people show up in your church that look different than you, the last thing you want to do is, is all of a sudden try to clean them up before you catch them. We, we expect people to be on their best behavior. That's almost like going to the hospital and be like, don't come in here bleeding. You better not come in here. Don't come in here with no broken limbs. You better don't come in here. You better come in here whole. See, that's when all of a sudden our church is not for broken people, but our church is for those who are, have already been found, who've already received the healing that they need. But I mean, you know, there are people in this city and in this community that need what Ayers Christian Center has. And listen to me, the church itself has to be embracing to those who come in. And where it's not that we are, are not going to give them the truth. It's just that the first thing we're going to give them is grace. And as we extend grace to them, then we're going to give them the truth because we love them enough not to let them stay the same way that they are right now. Come on, somebody say amen to that. Y'all still with us today? All right. Now, when I think about the landscape of our world, what we're starting to see is, again, a greater polarization amongst people groups. Uh, men versus women, uh, young versus old, uh, Democrat versus Republican, Black versus white, those who love America versus those who hate America, uh, conservative versus liberal. And I'm saying all of that because the more polarized these groups become, what's happening is it's starting to seep into the church now. See, in, in the scripture, it tells us there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither bond nor free, neither male nor female, but we are all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus was supposed to be the, the one individual that would unite us regardless as to all of these other labels that we may have accepted in our lives. And we are living in a time where we are overemphasizing disagreement now. Man, come on, get this today. We're living in a time where we are overemphasizing disagreement. Disagreement and differences of opinion are a part of the human experience. Come on, if God wanted all of us to be exactly the same, he would have made us all exactly the same. He would... He would have he had a big divine Xerox machine and he would have took Adam and made a copy of Adam and Eve and made 8.8 .8 billion people exactly alike. But there is a reason why we're all different. 
Amen? Nowadays, if you have 100 points and you disagree with somebody on three of them, well, we can't be friends, we can't work together, and we can't be around each other. And there used to be a time where, where you know, we, we res- could respectfully disagree. That even if we don't see eye to eye on certain things, as long as we agree on some of the big things, then we can still find a way to make all of this work. And Satan loves it. Satan loves it. He loves seeing humanity, you know, uh, divided and, and different groups polarized all, all, all throughout the world. Why? Because he, he, in order to kill, steal, and destroy, he's got to divide and conquer. So what happens, the more polarized we become is that relationships become more about conversion Mm -hmm. than they do about us finding common denominators that we can actually build upon. Mm. And the more that this happens, the more isolated people and people groups become. The result of it is what we read about in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and that is relationship decay. Now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, the Bible tells us don't despise prophecy. All right. In other words, don't don't disesteem, don't look look down upon prophecy. Now, the Bible is three things. It is a history book. It is an instruction manual, and it is also a book of prophecy. So you don't have to guess about what God's will is about your life. What you're reading is a history book. And if you look at God's historical dealings with man, um, you'll find that what he has done in the past is the same thing he's going to do today. That's why he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Bible is an instruction manual. It speaks to how you and I are supposed to live our life presently. But it is also a book of prophecy. There are certain events in this book that have not yet come to pass. Now, we are not supposed to look down upon or disdain what has been said prophetically because when God gives us inside information and he says, listen, relationship decay is coming. He's telling us this so that we can be aware of it and we can prepare ourselves so that we don't end up on the wrong side of the prophecy. So when you find yourself getting into it with your parents, you start to say, man, this was part of what 2 Timothy said. That people would be disobedient to parents. When all of a sudden you start to see betrayal on the rise, then you make sure that you end up guarding your heart so that you don't get training to be the next Judas in your people group. So you start being, it helps to make us mindful of what's going on. See, Bible tells us, one of the things Bible tells us about the last days is that people's hearts will fail them for fear. So anytime we get a movement of fear in the earth, I always know in that moment I got to watch myself. I've got to guard my heart because this is what's going to cause spiritual heart failure in the last days is that fear is going to paralyze people on the inside. We've got to remember that, listen, we are called to be peacemakers. We're called to be the light of the world. We're called to be the servants of the Lord who do not strive. We're supposed to follow peace after all men. And I'm I'm saying this. I, I done told Pastor, I done told myself, I said, man, listen, next year is another election cycle. And I'm, telling my, I'm, I'm saying to myself, I need to get my church ready because last time they lost their mind. People forgot who they were last time we went through an election cycle. And, it's, and what people don't realize is what's happening is the more, uh, the more uh, anti-God America is becoming, politics has taken the place of religion. There used to be a time you could get up and preach a message and people would say, man, that's the word. Now you get up and preach a message and they say, oh, you must be conservative. Hold on. All I did was show you chapter and verse. All I did was show you what the Bible says about certain things. And so we've got to make sure in the midst of everything that's unfolding and that's going on that we don't forget who we are. 
I'm not here to represent myself. I'm here to represent the kingdom of God. And regardless as to who occupies the Oval Office doesn't really have anything to do with our mission and what we've been placed here to do to get this gospel out to the uttermost parts of the earth so that the end can come. My Bible tells me God raises up one and then sits down the other. That promotion doesn't come from the south, from the east, or from the west, but promotion comes from the Lord. Come on, somebody. And sometimes what we're seeing in leaders is just a reflection of what's going on in the nation. Amen. In the Old Testament, whoever occupied the high places determined what happened in the nation. When they built altars to idols in the high places, then idolatry was prevalent all throughout the land. Amen. This is why, folks, our assignment is important. This is not the time for you to tuck away in the corner somewhere and decide that you're going to keep your faith to yourself. I don't care if you're a youth in school, a college, a college student in college, or someone that works in the workplace. You are here to be a light of the world. You are here to be the salt of the earth. You are here to rep, be an ambassador and a representative of Christ. You're not just a representative of your race or a representative of your neighborhood. You are an ambassador of the kingdom of Almighty God. God didn't save you so you could represent yourself. God saved you so you can tell somebody else about who he is. Now the easy thing to do in the last days when relationships become complicated is just get rid of them. You rub me the wrong way, I'm done with you. Unfollow. Unfriend block cut you off <laughs> how many of y'all know what i'm talking about the spirit of cut you off is moving in the world that we live in today and i mean you know, there is a time for this there is a time when 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 relationships become so toxic that you need to have the spirit of cut you off just just to keep your heart right there have been times i've had to unfriend and unfollow people unbeknownst to them just so that every time I opened up my social media page I didn't get offended by what I saw see it, it, it's not though because I don't love the person it's just that I don't want my heart to get filled with concrete towards that individual now uh, let me say this there is a time for it uh, you know to cut people off but when I start to see this consistently with people I know the issue is not with other people the issue is with this person see when 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 you're at your fifth church and you talking about some the, the Lord moved me into a new season I, every year you in a new season so tired of some of this, this, this Christianese, this church terminology that we like to throw out there sometimes when we don't want to take responsibility for what's going on in our own heart. The Lord is, he's shifting me. You know, he's, he, he doing something new on the inside of my heart. No, he's not. You moving because you don't like being told no. You, you move, you, you come on somebody. You, you're moving because you're easily offended. You're moving because you didn't get your way. And watch this, all you're going to do is go to the new place and recreate the same old environment that you just came from. Turn to your neighbor on the side and be like, boy, he sure is preaching good ahead of that. <laughs> the Lord is using light-skinned leadership today. Watch out. <laughs> 
And listen, just because you and the person fell, other person fell out and you don't talk anymore does not mean the matter between the two of you has been resolved. And, and I want to encourage you, you, you don't want to allow issues in your relationships to remain unresolved. You and your spouse fight and you never work out the issue. I mean, you're talking again. You moved on with life, but you haven't worked out the problem. You and your kids get into it with each other. And now you're at a place where you're at least, you know, talking to each other so you can function within the home. But the issue that, that, that happened is unresolved. And I'm, you know, we have to, and I'm going to tell you pastors yesterday, if you weren't here yesterday, my God, they gave some great wisdom on communication. I'm going to tell you, being a parent of a teenager, two teenagers, man, when our kids became teenagers, we looked at each other and we said, what in the world happened to our kids? What in the world? Man, listen, and one of my kids, I, I, feel like, I feel like God put them on the earth to develop all nine fruit of the Spirit in my life. Every last one of them is working. Patience, long-suffering, joy, peace, uh, self-control, all of them are at work. And I remember uh, my youth pastor told me many years ago, he said, if people won't learn the way that I teach, then I'm going to teach the way that they learn. And what, what I've learned, what we're learning as parents is that if you want healthy relationships, healthy relationships are all about adjustments. It, it, you, you can't be a one or done, you got one trick and that's it type of individual. You've got to be willing to adjust as necessary in order to meet a need. Uh, we're, uh, we're actually moving in the next few months. And the only, we love our home that we're in right now. I mean, absolutely love it. It's big enough where we, if we didn't have to, we wouldn't have to move until all of our kids leave out the house. I mean, it is the perfect situation for us. We are putting this house that we love up for sale only because we want our kids back in Christian schools. That's it. Where we're moving to, where we're moving to, the housing prices are double of what we're paying right now. My interest rate now is 2.75%. Where we're going is like six point something. And, I, and I'm, a, I'm a financial guy. So, so, and I'm real big on not living above your means or at your means, but, but below your means. And building increase into your budget. Don't wait for increase to be an event. Build increase into your budget. I, that's how I am. That's the way I run my personal life. That's the way I run my church. And, but what's ha what happened is we moved to a nice house, but we did not like what was happening with our children in their schools when we moved. So what's happening is we're making an adjustment. We're adjusting. It is, it is uncomfortable. It is inconvenient. It's, it's going to cost a whole lot more, so we're going to have to really make a whole lot of changes. But for us, it is worth it for these four relationships that we have with these human beings who God has entrusted into our stewardship. And we have got to be willing to inconvenience ourselves at times in order to preserve 
a relationship that God has deemed necessary in our lives. Yes. Amen. All right. I'm almost done. I know I've been talking for a long time. Our objective for this whole series, hey, I appreciate you, has been winning together in relationships. Say it with me. Say winning together, winning together. in relationships. Now, the second commandment, which is to love your neighbor like you love yourself, is not about tolerating people. God gave us the second commandment so that we could learn to appreciate and value other people just like he does. Most times we are products of our environments. So how we were raised, good or bad, influences how we do relationships. Because I grew up in a home without a natural father, uh, then I dealt with a lot of insecurity when it came to older men who I would look up to and admire. Because my natural dad was not there, I assumed that other prominent men would not be interested in who I am. And so what happened is that I get around someone like that and my insecurity would come to the surface. Why? Because how I was raised was now showing up in my relationship today. That's why Satan attacks us when we're kids, because his assumption is they're going to be struggling with this for the rest of their lives. So I had to confront my insecurity so that I could have healthy relationships with other men who I look up to and admire. And my insecurity wouldn't be the thing that kept me out of some of those key relationships that I needed in my life. All right. Go with me to James chapter four, verses one and two. We're reading it in the Amplified. It says what leads to strife, discord and feuds and how do conflicts, quarrels and fights originate among you? Do they not arise from your sensual desires that are ever warring in your bodily members? You are jealous and covet what others have and your desires go unfulfilled. So you become murderers. To hate is to murder as far as your hearts are concerned. To burn with envy and anger and are not able to obtain the gratification, the contentment, and the happiness that you seek. So you fight in war. You do not have because you do not ask. All right. So oftentimes when we experience contention, somebody say contention, in our relationships, uh, the word contention comes from the word contend. The word con means against. The word ten means stretching. So usually when there's contention between us and another individual, it's because someone in the relationship is against the stretch. This relationship is stretching us, and I don't want to be stretched. So then contention shows up. So when we, when oftentimes what brings contention in our relationships and hinders us from winning together with others is, number one, the fear of our needs being or remaining unmet. The fear of our needs being or remaining unmet. So when we are afraid of our needs not being met, then we take matters into our own hands. This is what hinders a wife from letting go of control in her marriage because she's saying, if I let go, how do I know my needs are going to be taken care of? This is what stops a Christian from buying into a vision of a church because they say to themselves, if I spend so much time sewing into someone else's vision, how am I going to have time to bring my own vision to pass? This is what hinders us as we age from embracing change and new seasons and the need to evolve because we say to ourselves, I'm too old. 
in order to make changes in my life. I'm afraid to disturb what I've created because it's provided a level of comfort for me now. I'm too old to make major changes in my life even when God is asking me to make them. This is what prevents the Christian from submitting to God because they say, if I do your will, then how am I going to get what I want? And so Peter, he made this statement. He said, look, Lord, we've left everything and followed after you. And Jesus was like, "Uh uh-uh, bro, don't get it twisted now. He said, nobody's left houses or brothers or sister or mother or children's or lands that they should receive now in this. No one has left anything for my sake or for the gospels, but they should receive now in this life, brothers and sisters and mothers and children's and lands, you know, and in the world to come eternal life. Yes. <clears throat> now, another hindrance to us winning together in relationships is when we prioritize personal ambition or opportunity over the kingdom way of doing things. You want to write that down. We prioritize personal ambition or opportunity over the kingdom way of doing things. I remember many years ago hearing someone say, the kingdom way is God first, other second, you last. And that's been a game changing revelation for me. Because the Bible tells us that the first shall be last and the last shall be what? Shall be first. So if we never learn the kingdom way of doing things, then we will end up with citizens who love God but who have a tendency to fend for themselves, all right? So when they get into a disagreement, they don't trust God. They take matters into their own hands. When it comes to provision, they start trying to pick and choose where their provision comes from. When it comes to promotion, well, I got to maneuver and, and, and move myself into certain positions and backstab people and do whatever I got to do in order for promotion to come my way. If somebody wrongs me, then I take vengeance into my own hands in order to make things right. See, when we don't, when we don't do things the kingdom way, then we end up fending for ourselves. But kingdom people understand the king always takes care of his citizens. When I got a revelation that my God will supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus, I stopped demanding from people things that I needed to trust God for. When we get a revelation of this, we stop going into relationships looking to get something and we start going into relationships looking for what we can give. See, the world will tell you, you better get yours. And God will tell you, you better go help somebody else get theirs first. And then yours will come. It's my turn now? It's your turn, baby. Okay, I'm going to have everybody stand back up. Shake it off. I'm not going to make you do jumping jacks. Everybody up? All right, now sit back down. Next time, make them do the Steph Curry shake. Oh, the Steph Curry shake. All right, so we're talking about winning together in relationships. And Jesus um, said this, and it ties in with what you just said. In Matthew 16, Jesus said to the disciples, verses 25, 24 and 25, if anyone wants to be a follower of mine, are there any followers of Jesus in this house Amen. today? Amen. We're in good company. He said, hey, if you want to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For anyone who keeps his life for himself, notice the terminology, you're keeping your life for yourself shall lose it. 
Anyone who loses his life, I give myself away, right? Anyone who loses his life for me shall find it again. Anybody have discovered who you are because of giving everything to Jesus? Come on. Amen. You're like, God, take my mind, take my will, take my emotions. And then when we give, when we surrender, we see more than we ever saw before. Amen. So culture tells us to preserve our lives and to live for ourselves. Do you, boo-boo. Right. Do you. But kingdom culture says, no, do him and then you'll find you. Okay. Okay. So a godly marriage, when you talk about marriage, it's supposed to be a representation of God's relationship with his church. Right. That's what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be the husband, the wife and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit. And people should be able to look at the unity and the commonality and the way they work together and submit one to the other and say, man, I understand how God works now through our marriages. Those that seek to preserve their individuality and refuse to blend, making the two one, they usually lose that marriage. Mm -hmm. Those that seek to be true to themselves when they get in a company and ignore the company objectives, oftentimes they get let go from that company right? Those that seek to just be self-centered and only serve themselves wind up being unfulfilled because the emotions and the desires of men are never satisfied. We can never get enough handbags, ladies. We can never get enough pairs of shoes. The money is never going to be enough. It's, I want a bigger car. I want another pool. I want more friends. I need more likes on Instagram. It's insatiable. The only thing that satisfies is God himself because he is satisfaction. Jesus said that we were supposed to connect to him because he's the true vine. John 15 says this. So that means that there must be fake vines. So our job is to make sure we're not connected to sources that can't fully sustain us. We need to stay connected to God. He is our source. Amen? Amen. So kingdom-minded people pursue relationships, like you said, thinking about what we can give, not just what we can receive. So you hear people walking around, women saying, I need a man. I need a good man. I need a man. Well, are you willing to be a good wife? You hear men saying, I need a woman. I need a good woman. I need, well, are you preparing yourself to be a good husband? Because anytime you enter into a relationship, relationship is not just about taking. It's about giving. Amen. And God isn't going to bless you and curse somebody else. He sure is not. So if we want a blessing, we have to be the blessing. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Uh Uh-huh. We need to know when we step into somebody's life, they just got blessed because they got you. That's right. Amen. We're talking about winning together in relationships. I think sometimes, even in those difficult conversations with people, the focus oftentimes is winning the argument. Right? We want to win and get our way. We want to persuade the other person to see through our eyes, right? And so we're trying to win this discussion, this disagreement, or to have our way. But if we win the argument, but we lose the relationship, we've really lost in the end. That's right. And this is so important to remember with children as well, right? As parents, we're the authority, and we're like, you better do what I say, because I brought you in this world, and I can take you out. But at the end of the day, we are sowing seeds every single day for the type of relationship we're going to have when they reach adulthood. And we have to ask ourselves, what kind of relationship do I want to have with my child when they're 30, when they're 40, when they're 50? Whatever that is, that's what I'm sowing for right now. 
And so I'm not going to just lord over them and win every argument and nitpick everything they do that I don't like because I'm sowing for the long-term win of the relationship and not just this one moment right here. Because people don't just remember what you say, they remember how you make them feel. They remember how you make them feel. Yeah, and sometimes we focus so much on being right. Well, I'm right. Well, that's okay. You probably are. But if you're right and lose the person, it's not worth it. Right? And believer, this is so important even when we're sharing our faith. Sometimes we're sharing our faith with someone and they're an atheist or they, you know, they're agnostic or they've walked away from the things of God or they don't even recognize that there is a God or they're a member of another faith. You know what? Let's share our faith in a way that leaves them edified. That leaves them saying, wow, that was, that was a really intelligent, interesting conversation. I might want to talk to that person again. Instead of leaving them in a way where they're mad, they're cussing at us, and they feel really small. What's really significant to me about Jesus is that he was able to talk to everybody. He talked to the wealthy. He talked to the poor. He talked to people that were down and out in their body. He talked to married people, single people, young, old, males, females, and everyone left the way edified. Even the ones he corrected could not criticize what he said. They left the way in silence oftentimes because of the grace that was on his tongue. And we are called to be an ambassador for Christ, to be a representative of his. So we can ask the Holy Spirit, hey, teach me how to be that graceful, Lord. Hide the word in your heart so that when you're talking to somebody, it comes out. And remember, the word is sharp. It's quick. It's powerful. It will cut. It will convict a little bit. But the word is also love. That's right? right? So they're going to feel the love of the Father even when they're getting corrected. That's good. Healthy relationships are built on serving, not on just taking. Amen. So in our marriages, even with our children, with our coworkers, with our friends, our thought process should be, how can I serve this person? How can I make their life better? How can I make things easier for them? How can I enlighten them? How can I take them higher? And not to the degree where we're dragging them along because they're unwilling participants. <laughs> I'm going to help improve you. And they're like, I don't want any improvement. Get off me. <laughs> not like that. Sometimes we just have to pray for people, right? Because if they're resistant, they have a free will. We have to respect their free will. Amen. Amen. Now, some, in some of our relationships, there's been a breach of trust. And a breach of trust can occur in many different ways. And oftentimes, it's because we had a certain expectation, and the expectation that we had was not met, right? Or uh, our confidence was betrayed in some way, or we're disappointed in some way. And God has called us as believers to be peacemakers, Right? He's called us to reconcile men and women back to himself. But it's very difficult to do that when we're unreconciled with other people in our own lives. And so this is what the enemy does. He tries to sow discord in our hearts with other people and in our homes so that we're so preoccupied with that that we can't see the big picture and reach out to others. All right? But somebody say, devil... Devil. Your, plan Your plan for my life, for my life is not going to work. It's not going to work. That's right. God wants us free from trauma, and he wants us free from past hurts on the people that have disappointed us so that we can really be the lights that my husband was talking about. In order to be a light, anything that dims down our life, we have to get rid of it. We have to get rid of it, and that could literally be an offense. The question is this, I want to ask you. Are you willing to do what's necessary to really forgive and move forward. Are you willing? Because the issue is not with the other person, the issue is with you. 
Matthew 5, verse 23 and 24 in the Living Bible, it says, So if you are standing before the altar in the temple, offering a sacrifice to God, and suddenly you remember that a friend has something against you. Now notice, the friend has something against you. They're mad at you. You're fine. But you remember they have something against you. Leave your sacrifice there beside the altar and go and apologize. Ooh, apologize. For some people, that's a four-letter word. The Bible said apologize and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your sacrifice to God. It's not enough to apologize and repent before God. If we've wronged another person, we need to also do that. All right now. And sometimes we're not even wrong. But notice it says, you know somebody's been offended by you. And even if you know, well, they're just sensitive. They shouldn't even be upset. God said, hold on. Stop singing, uh, he loves me. Leave the altar and go make it right with homegirl or your boy over there before you finish this song. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 through 15. Y'all can settle down. Settle down. Stop running around the church. I know this is good teaching. You preaching so good, I figured I'd give you a massage. I love it. Matthew 6 says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, if that's not motivation to forgive, I don't know what it is. Because do we have any perfect people in the house? Raise your hand, lift it high. I didn't think so. Oh, praise God. I love it. My kid would have did the same thing. It's totally fine. Put your hand down. Get your hand down. So all of us need to receive God's forgiveness, which means we need to all be willing to give it. And I'm not minimizing what has happened because some of you, especially like, for instance, the story he shared about the young man we know, okay, that's really hard to forgive something like that. But the issue is if you don't, you hinder yourself. The other person is going on with their life. And you know what? You deserve to go on with your life too. Okay, forgiveness is not for them, it's for you. So when we get offended, the Bible literally says we're getting trapped. In Luke chapter 17, verse 1, Jesus said that offenses will come. So it's, it is impossible to go through this life and not get offended at least once. That's right. Jesus said they're going to come. But the word offense in that verse means stumbling block. Stumbling block is something you can trip over. It means cause for temptation. Wow. So when we're offended, now the door is open for us to be tempted to do the wrong thing, mm. say the wrong thing, respond in the wrong way, run away from our commitments. It also means snare and trap. Never make a decision when you're offended. Come on. Never. Come on. God will call you to a career. He'll call you into a marriage. He'll call you into a church. And somebody, your wife, the pastor, your boss offends you. And the, the devil will tempt you to leave the very place that God prepared for you, that you said you were believing for. He'll tempt you to renege and walk away from your commitment because he wants to get you out in the open where he can attack you more readily. But we have to say, hold on, let me take a deep breath. Let me sit down. Let me pray. Let me talk about it with someone that I trust, a trusted voice who's going to point me back to the word and not just tell me everything I want to hear. And when I'm calm and I'm no longer upset, that's when the Holy Spirit can give me wisdom for a decision. 
And let me add mm-hmm. something to that. And that is don't make any major changes in your life when you're offended. Mm-hmm. So don't, don't change a church when you're offended. Don't, don't try to jump out of a marriage when you're offended. Don't make major changes in your life when you're trapped. Right. You have to wait until you get out of the trap to be in a place where you can download wisdom and make a decision from a good place and a healthy place instead of from a bitter and an offended place. Yeah. So good news is the word forgive in Matthew 6, remember it says, if you don't forgive those, he won't forgive others, he won't forgive you. The word forgive means to send away. Wow. To send away. It means to divorce. It means to let go. Everybody says let go and let God, right? Well, let go of the trap. Let go of the offense. Divorce the pain. Look at your neighbor and say, divorce that pain. Come on, divorce that pain. When we forgive, we are writing our divorce papers and we are saying, you can no longer have power over me anymore. That's good. Somebody shout, send it away. Send it away. When you forgive a person, this is another reason why some people don't forgive because they say, number one, the person doesn't deserve it, right? Or number two, I'm, I don't want them to come back into my life, right? So I'm, you know, I'm going to hold this grudge so I don't go to that family reunion every year, right? I'm going to just hold the grudge. But you can forgive and not re-invite. Hmm. There are people in my life that I have forgiven and we have fully reconciled to the point where they're in my life now like it never happened. It took a few years, but it's like, wow, I'm so glad that that, that came all, God brought that thing all the way back around, and now we can live to tell the story and encourage other people, right? But there are some relationships where it's like, okay, God's dealing with me, and I know I need to release this. I know I need to send this away. I know I need to forgive this person, but because of Proverbs 4 telling me to guard my heart with all diligence because out of it flow the issues of life, and because of the breach and what actually happened with this person, Wisdom says, forgive them, but don't reinvite them in. It's really good. And note that there is, a, there is a difference. Some people God wants you to forgive and reconcile with. Make That's that right. thing work, right? right? And others you forgive and you completely send it away. You give it over to the Lord because that person, that relationship has become a care. And God said, cast your cares on me, right? Give me all your cares because I care for you. And some people, some things have become cares. And you have to say, here, God, I no longer have the strength to carry this person. I release and I send them to you. And trust him with that. And listen to me. Jesus had to pray the same prayer three times in the Garden of Gethsemane. So don't be ashamed if you have to do that more than once for certain people. Uh, I want to tell a story real quick. The, uh, there, was a, there was an individual who used to uh, be a part of our church, and uh, many years ago, uh, there was a, we went through a season of time when um, we, were, we were doing a church service at a school, and uh, we had done three services for a long time, tried to find a way to take all three, do it in one. And uh, when we did it in one, the Lord told me it was going to be a wilderness season uh, in our lives. So I was like, shoot, let me go back and read what the Bible says about it being a wilderness season. I'm going to go back, read Genesis, Exodus. I'm going to skip Leviticus, read Numbers, and then Deuteronomy. And uh, I start reading up on the wilderness season. And, and our, things got pretty, uh, pretty bad uh, at our church for one time. Our, our membership cut completely in half uh, while we were away. I believe God led us to do this during this time. But uh, he was doing some other things beyond just growing our church. And um, so there was a time where I felt like our church was on the verge of a church split. 
Uh, there, were, there were about two groups within our church at the time that were just unhappy with certain things and were causing so much uh, chaos within the church. And so we decided to go out to eat with one particular group. We took them to a nice restaurant and just tried to share our heart, explain what was going on, et cetera, et cetera. It was very cordial, very respectful, uh, but they decided eventually that entire group to leave our church. And this is why you don't burn bridges unnecessarily. I mean, don't burn bridges unnecessarily. You want to be Christ-like whenever there is conflict between you and another individual because life has a way of flowing in circles. And you don't know when an individual is going to cycle back around again into your life. One of the individuals in that group is the admissions person for the school that we're sending all four of our kids to today. Come on, I'm talking about 10 years later. 10 years later, if we burn the bridge with that individual, then he's a gatekeeper now in who determines who gets into the school that we're sending all four of our kids to now. So had we not handled ourselves in the right way and burned that bridge, then now we got to trust God for favor and we got to pray and fast and we need a miracle from heaven because we burned a bridge with somebody not acting Christ-like because we had conflict in our relationship at one time in the past. That's so good. So part of our assignment today really is to help some of you release pain and trauma. We really, I really, when we were preparing, I really sensed that some of you have been attempting to forgive, but you've been struggling. You're like, I know what the Bible says, and I know I'm supposed to be walking in love, and I know I'm supposed to think the best, and I can't get over this thing. You know, some of you are still hurt from a divorce. Some of you are still hurt from molestation or an inappropriate thing that happened to you as a child. Some of you are hurt by a betrayal of a best friend. Some of you were skipped over from a promotion at job at your job and you still have to go there and train people that really you know more than them and but they are higher than you. And every day you've been attempting. So if I'm talking to you, I'm going to ask you to be very brave because the Bible says that when we confess our faults one to another, we are healed. And a lot of times, and it also talks about being restored and being made whole. And a lot of times we confess our shortcomings to God, but, but the pride keeps us from confessing it to another person. Yeah. But it's the confessing to our brothers and sisters in a safe space that brings the healing, the closure, and the wholeness that we need. So I'm going to ask you to be bold. And if I'm describing you, I'm going to ask that you shoot your hand up so we can pray for you. Shoot your hand up right where you're sitting. Hold it up high. I'm going to have you hold it up high. If you see someone's hand up, I want you, those of you who don't have your hand up, to go to someone that you're not related to, preferably, and I want you to pray for them as I pray over us all. I'm not going to start praying until I see you guys moving. Marcus, can you do us a favor and put that He Loves Us Thank uh, song you. on just in the background? Thank you so You guys much. can actually all stand to your feet. Hands up high. Yeah. You guys can move around and just gently touch the person. You can hold their hand. You can touch them on the shoulder if they're comfortable with that. Is there anyone who had their hand raised? You don't have anybody to pray for you. Wave at me like this. Everybody's got somebody to pray for them. All right. Now I want you to pray like it's your, like it's your daughter, like it's your son, like it's your best friend. Before, before she goes into this, I want to just personally... 
My wife walked me through this because the last few years in ministry have been the one of the toughest times for me uh, in ministry. And I have had to really work through some things in my heart um, where certain individuals within my church are concerned. And it has been a, I've noticed certain things about myself. Uh, I noticed how frequently I was talking about it. Just at home. How many times I was bringing it up and talking about what, you know, individuals had done and, and I felt I felt used. I felt like I had been taken advantage of. Um, I felt like I had been betrayed. I felt like things that I endeavored to do to try to make things right, it was not received. I felt like people didn't take responsibility for some things and wanted to just point the finger at me as if I was the only reason and the only, the only purpose why things were happening the way that they were. And it just really hurt me in my heart. I just was, I was hurt by it all. And sometimes hurt people hurt other people. And so my wife woke up, we uh, not too long ago woke up one day and we had just talked about it the night before and she had prayed for me and, and she walked me through this exercise that we're doing with you right now. And man, I felt a level of freedom. And, I, and then at the same time made a commitment that from this moment forward, I will no longer allow my pain and the hurt that I've experienced from people that I love, genuinely love, I will no longer allow it to dictate how I act and what I do going forward into the future. So go ahead, babe. Go ahead and minister. Amen. So I'm going to pray over you, and then there's going to be a certain point, guys, that I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. We're going to use the word renounce. So I'm going to tell you what that word means right now. It means to break agreement with. It means to break covenant with and to turn your back on. So you'll hear me say things like, I renounce fear. And I'm going to have you say that after me, okay? We're just going to pray right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we lift up our brothers and our sisters. We pray, Lord God, that you assist them on their daily journey of life. That as they attempt to cast their care on you because they understand how much you care for them, God. That they have the courage to forgive. They have the courage to let go. They have the courage to move forward. We declare that they will no longer be paralyzed by offense. We declare that they will no longer trip over that stumbling block of offense and hurts. We release them from trauma. We release them from yes. pain. We release them from violation. We release them from everything that has held them bound in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you for freedom coming in this house right now. Come against every lying spirit that has been trying to tell you that the pain will never leave. I come against every lying spirit that's telling you you'll never be good enough because of what happened to you. I curse the lies of the enemy. God, you said that we are your sheep and we hear your voice and the voice of strangers we will not follow. We silence the voice of strangers right now. We silence the voice of our emotions right now. We say, get away. You are a liar. We don't believe you. We receive spiritual ears to hear and spiritual eyes to see what you are doing in our lives and in the church. 
God, I thank you for giving vision right now to men and women of God. I thank you for giving them an image of how you see them. Some of you are seeing yourself wearing white right now because the Lord sees you as righteous. You are not damaged goods. You are righteous. You are clean and washed in the blood of the Lamb. Receive his love. Receive his grace. Receive his forgiveness for yourself. Thank you, Jesus. We're sending the pain away. We're sending the trauma away. We're leaving it at the feet of Jesus. We're walking away light. We're walking away light. He said, come unto me, all you who are heavy laden and burdened down, and I will give you rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Yes, Lord. God, thank you for revealing yourself to us like never before. Thank you the words will leap off of the page into our spirit when we read our word, when we listen to that audio book while we're driving God. Thank you that we are intoxicated with your love, Jesus. God, I declare that you slap the taste of the world out of the mouths of your children. Thank you that we crave the sincere milk and meat of the word. Some of you are going to try to do what you used to do and you won't have the appetite for it. Thank you, God. Thank you that addictions are being broken right now in the name of Jesus. We declare that we are addicted to the Holy Spirit and the Word of God only. Thank you, God, for a spirit of holiness being relevant, God, manifesting in our lives like never before. Thank you for purity. Thank you for childlike faith being renewed. Thank you for restoring the joy of our salvation. All right, here's where I want you to repeat after me. Say, I renounce. I renounce bitterness. Bitterness. I renounce strife. I renounce strife. Say it again. I renounce strife. I renounce strife. I renounce division. I renounce division. I renounce confusion. I renounce confusion. I declare every single confusing spirit that is trying to make some of you feel like you're losing your mind. I curse it right now and I send it to the abyss. You're not losing your mind. You have the mind of Christ. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Say, I renounce unforgiveness. I renounce unforgiveness. I renounce offense. I renounce offense. I renounce anger. I renounce anger. I renounce embarrassment. I renounce embarrassment. I renounce shame. I renounce shame. I renounce resentment. I renounce resentment. I renounce regret. I renounce regret. I renounce rejection. I renounce rejection. I renounce abandonment. I renounce abandonment. I renounce neglect. I renounce neglect. I renounce fear. I renounce fear. Fear will no longer paralyze me. Fear will no longer paralyze me. I am who God said I am. I am who God says I am. I can be who he said I can be. I can be who he said I can be. I can have what he said I can have. I can have what he said Lift I can Lift your hands. Say, I receive. I receive. Healing. Healing. I receive wholeness. I receive wholeness. I receive your peace. I receive your peace. I receive joy. I receive your I receive comfort. I receive receive direction. I receive direction. I receive the ability to love again. I receive the ability to love again. I receive the ability to trust again. I receive the ability to trust again. I receive healthy relationships. I receive healthy relationships. I receive God's forgiveness. I receive God's forgiveness. I forgive myself. I forgive myself. Keep your hands lifted, Father, in the name of Jesus. I seal all of this with faith. 
I thank you, God, that your people are leaving with everything that offends at the altar. It's at your feet. They're walking away free and new, and they stay free. They're walking away free and new, and they stay free. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Thank you for mind renewal. Thank you for transformation being a constant process that we all participate in willingly. Thank you for making us willing vessels. Thank you for making us willing vessels. God, we give you our yes. Somebody say, God, I give you my yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah in the name of Jesus. I just want to say this. uh, One of the uh, spirits that we see in the New Testament is what the Bible calls a deaf and dumb spirit. And it doesn't have anything to do with the spirit's intelligence. What happens is Jesus is telling us that there are certain demons that rule through silence. So when when something happens and we no longer feel we can voice what has happened to us, we can't talk about it to someone else. The demonic, that demon spirit is able to maintain control through our muteness, through our silence in our life. And today marks the very beginning of breakthrough for some, but I I do really believe in my spirit. There There are some of you, you need to talk to someone else about whatever violation you've been through. You need to talk about it to someone else. You need to share it with someone else. Because as long as you stay silent about it, then that demon spirit will be able to operate and function with a little bit of control in your life, more so than what it should. You can be free, but one of the things that freedom brings with it is your voice back again. To be able to say and to share certain things that were not shared. There are some people who are older in here. You know, our, our parents' generation was known as the silent generation. So we didn't talk about things that we knew were going on in the family. And what happens is that some of the generational curses have been able to continue because of silence. And God wants to break that over our households and over our families by giving voice to secrets that have been going on in our family for way, way too long. I believe that God's going to anoint some whistleblowers to rise up to give voice to truth so that freedom can begin to come.